We all know someone with hearing loss, maybe even struggle with it ourselves. But unfortunately, hearing aids cost thousands, which most people just can't afford. Now there's an alternative. A company called Audion Hearing just released new over-the-counter hearing aids for only $189, and they sound amazing. Highly recommended for anyone with hearing loss. Check out audionhearing.com for their 45-day risk-free trial. That's A-U-D-I-E-N hearing.com, and you can use code Keith for $25 off. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. must act now against the new McCarthyism or lose the Republic. We need something, almost anything, that will pick up where the January 6th committee left off. Hearings, television, witnesses, subpoenas, admissions, admonitions. The Senate would be the best venue. The focus can nominally be on the gaslighting of the Mueller report and the true story of Trump's conspiracy with Russia. The focus, in fact, must be to kill the new McCarthyism in its nest. The new McCarthyism, literally that. The new Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, who had already promised, warned, hinted, signaled, announced, and now confirmed he is forming a subcommittee dedicating it to gaslighting on behalf of Trump and whitewashing his sedition and treason and aiming that subcommittee at those who have fought back in government and outside of it particularly at the January 6th committee, at the good people in the FBI, at the good people in the Department of Justice, the Select Subcommittee on Weaponization of the Federal Government. It is idiocy and slander in carload lots. Naturally, Kevin McCarthy is a slanderous political whore and an idiot, Then again, so was Joe McCarthy. You do not have to be a genius to do what the first McCarthy did, just a scheming crook. And if they want a scheming crook who is not a genius, they have found their man in the second McCarthy. 
the urgency to act now against the new McCarthyism has doubled just since Monday of this week because of three developments largely buried under the blissfully stupid amusements provided by George Santos, the Biden documents, the Pence documents, the Jimmy Carter documents, to say nothing, of course, of the M&Ms. The first development, obviously, nobody being able to talk the fascists out of trying to commandeer political discourse in this country till further notice with their version of the House Un-American Activities Committee and the blacklist and the reign of terror of the early 50s and populating this rogues gallery with Jim Jordan, Daryl Issa, Thomas Massey, Chris Stewart, Mike Johnson, Chip Roy, Kelly Armstrong, Greg Stubbe, Dan Bishop, Kat Kamek, Harriet Hageman, and worst of all, the scum of the earth, Elise Stefanik. The second development necessitating urgency of action, Monday's arrest of Charles McGonagall, the former head of FBI counterintelligence in New York to whom I devoted the entirety of yesterday's countdown, the former head of the earliest investigation into Trump and Russia, one of those near the top of the New York field office when it went rogue and led to the infamous Comey announcement, the October surprise of 2016, and the follow-up anonymous, quote, clearing, unquote, of Trump just three days after that, the re-smearing of Hillary Clinton over nothing, the specific and targeted and criminal and successful attempt to throw the election to Trump. McGonagall faces 75 years in jail, mostly for working illicitly for the very Russian oligarch he was supposed to be investigating just seven years ago. If ever a defendant was suitable for breaking, for giving up the whole corrupt mess on the 23rd floor of 26 Federal Plaza, for putting those who tampered with our elections on behalf of Trump and maybe on behalf of much worse, if anybody is ready to flip, it is Charles flipping McGonagall. And now the third development was Trump's revenge porn video and his reinstatement to Facebook both yesterday. Usually there is very little reason to bother to listen to what he says. It is always the same sing-song self-pity, the same bleatings of the kind of psychotic narcissist who is the stupid person's idea of a smart person. But in the new McCarthyism of the weaponization subcommittee, Trump smells blood, sees perhaps his best chance since the appointment of William Barr to turn truth into falsehood and falsehood into truth, to point at the FBI and shout unclean at those who are in fact noble and to raise up those who have sold their souls. Because, of course, the bitterest irony of Joe McCarthy and the blacklist was that freedom was in peril because of the government of 1950. It was in peril because of Joe McCarthy. He was the peril. And thus the bitterest irony of the new McCarthyism is that government of today has been weaponized. And it was weaponized by and for Trump and the very act of forming this subcommittee full of the most anti-democracy members of Congress is the new weaponization, is the new danger, is what needs investigation and purging. And so the Chip Roy's and Jim Jordan's and Donald Trump's and the new McCarthyism will brand good evil and evil good. And we must stop them. And the easiest way to stop them is merely to compete with them, 
crowd them off the bandstand. The goal of a Senate committee to investigate anything does not have to be convictions, nor legislation, nor existential truth. It just needs to neutralize, to offset, to cancel out the show trials of the new McCarthyism. There is usually little value in listening to Trump's verbal diarrhea and his astonishing imbecility. There is something, though, in this clip from his video. This is what we must, for want of a more sober term, counter-program. Here are just a few of the questions the committee hopefully will be asking. Who in the Mueller team was in charge of leaking secret information and fake news stories to dishonest journalists, of which there are many, to perpetrate the Russia hoax? And that's what it was. Turned out it was a total hoax. It was all misinformation. It was all a horrible thing that was given to the people of our country illegally. A great story, scumbag. Wait, that was the best take? What an illiterate monkey Trump really is. But these are his orders to Kevin McCarthy. And as we heard the night McCarthy sold whatever that is that he has instead of a soul to get the speaker's gavel, McCarthy has whored himself anew, fully and without remorse, to Trump. He will do the devil's bidding and pretend it is God's work. It is not coincidental Trump issued this video yesterday telling McCarthy what to do on the new subcommittee. Trump also sent Trump Jr. to Washington yesterday to meet with McCarthy and do a podcast with him, a Donald Cokie Trump Jr. Kevin McCarthy podcast, or the irresistible farce meets the immovable objectionable. All right, back to the point. In that video, Trump also publicly designated a new target, not for him, but new for this subcommittee. His cherished dream of punishing the media that does not applaud him, of censoring and controlling what America reads and sees, of avenging those who told the truth and rewarding those who poisoned the nation with conspiracy theories, now stands outlined and tangible in front of him, and it is the new McCarthyism. A fake press and a corrupt press and by corrupt politicians. The day the fake Steele dossier was first published, because they knew it was fake, and they knew that sometime there'd be a guy like Trump that wants to go after them. Have any fake news journalists been paid or compensated by U.S. government agencies directly or indirectly? for their role in spreading domestic disinformation like the FBI did with Twitter. Again, that was the best take? These are the facts. Donald Trump conspired with Russia to tamper with the 2016 presidential election. Elements of the FBI and other parts of the government of that year were indeed weaponized on his behalf to distort and thwart the same vote. And when the nation rejected Trump and recommitted itself to democracy on January 6th, 2021, Trump attempted a full scale coup d'etat. And we Trump haters, do we hate Trump? You bet your ass as our ancestors hated and fought and defeated Hitler. 
Do we have Trump derangement syndrome? Yes. Trump is deranged. It is a syndrome he has spread to the gullible and the hateful, and we must stop it, reverse it, cure those who can be cured, and prevent those who cannot from sabotaging freedom in this country. And all we need here is a choice of viewing, an alternate feed to vie for the lead slots in the daily newscasts and the places above the fold in the newspapers and in the upper left-hand corner and the top of the feeds online because we do not have to defeat and erase and stop the new McCarthyism. You can't stop the new McCarthyism. You can only hope to contain it. Wait, why in the hell does that sound so familiar? on my phone's ringing it's dan patrick still ahead finally something good comes of the wasted life of george santos that navy veteran from new jersey will be getting a new service dog and lifetime care for that dog worse persons just when you thought they couldn't get dumber or meaner the newest conspiracy theory is not that damar hamlin of the buffalo bills collapsed because of the covid vaccine but that he actually died from it and this whole story of his recovery is I don't know. Let's ask JFK Jr. when he comes back from the dead. And I mentioned it the other day, the Republicans' willingness to put some of their presidential primary debates on CNN or NBC if the price is right. Let's explore what the price was at NBC in 2008. The price was my head and how Tom Brokaw was willing to cut it off for them just so he could moderate a debate one more time. Things I promised not to tell. That's next. This is Countdown. We all know someone with hearing loss, or maybe even struggle with it ourselves. But unfortunately, hearing aids cost thousands, which most people just can't afford. Now there's an alternative. A company called Audion Hearing just released new over-the-counter hearing aids for only $189, and they sound amazing. Highly recommended for anyone with hearing loss. Check out audionhearing.com for their 45-day risk-free trial. That's A-U-D-I-E-N hearing.com, and you can use code Keith for $25 off. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, they're like, you know, who's ready to catch Creighton? You know, watch Creighton. They play, and I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shane and the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not gonna, the not the Big East tournament. Well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That, like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, just I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team? Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> And then they're never at any of the – Yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys, and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? You've the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts.
Daylight savings time is starting up in most states. The goal to give all of us more daylight right through to November. With it, you may actually feel as if there are more hours in the day. But if you are hiring, it may actually feel like it's taking even longer to find qualified candidates. There is no daylight hiring time. There's only one way to find those qualified candidates. That way is ZipRecruiter. Right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com countdown. Daylight savings time or not, ZipRecruiter works round the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to more than 100 job sites so you reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter's smart technology also scans thousands of resumes quickly to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See for yourself. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash countdown to try it for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash countdown. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Still ahead on Countdown, is Damar Hamlin really alive? Are any of us really alive? Is the guy asking if Damar Hamlin is alive really alive? <sighs> Worst person's coming up. Plus, if NBC is really going to televise a Republican presidential primary debate, they better get ready to fire somebody the Republicans don't like. But first, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need you can help. Every dog has its day to Huggin. Huggin is at the New York Pound, and there is another massacre going on there. Five dogs killed this week alone. They will kill him as early as today. He's got all the targets on him. He's a 62-pound dog. He's mixed breed. He has a black coat. And even though he was dumped by a human who just showed up and left without saying a word about him, he's gentle and respectful and okay with other dogs. He's nervous. He has reason to be. If you can pledge to help defray the costs of a rescue to save him, you can find him on my Twitter feed. Your retweets can also help him. I thank you, and Huggin thanks you. Postscripts to the news, some headlines, some thoughts, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline Port Washington, New York. You will recall the sad story of Sapphire, the service dog of disabled and at that time homeless Navy vet Rich Osthoff. When Sapphire needed surgery to remove a tumor, Osthoff was introduced to Congressman George Santos. This was in 2016 and told that Santos was somebody who could raise the money for the poor dog. Well, he raised it all right by a GoFund me and then he would not give Ostoff the money and Sapphire died. After the story reported by the hyper-local Patch news site got widespread attention, New York's North Shore Animal League offered Ostoff a new service dog and lifetime veterinary care for him or her. On the other hand, video has now surfaced of Santos claiming he was mugged in the middle of Fifth Avenue at some point last year and they stole his shoes and also there was an assassination attempt. Next, I'm expecting George Santos to explain that he can travel through time. Dateline New York, you and I may think we know the most popular movie of all time and we're wrong. The only answer is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It is still shown weekly around the country, around the world, and fans get up and perform along with it in costume, saying the dialogue, acting out the plot twists. 
And the man who started all that has passed away. In 1976, Sal Pirro went to see the Tim Curry-Susan Sarandon film, which was a bomb at that point. At the Waverly Theater here, he started to talk back to the characters, and soon people were showing up to hear him talk back to the characters. And that evolved into fan participation in the film, and that evolved into the Rocky Horror Picture Show Fan Club, which he founded in 1977, and of which he remained president until his death. Death last Saturday, Sal Piro was 71. And Dateline Hollywood, oops, bad week if you're named Rogan. The chief content officer of Spotify, the one who brought Joe Rogan's podcast to that site for tens of millions of dollars, Don Ostroff, fired. And Fred Rogan, different spelling, sportscaster at KNBC Los Angeles since 1980, is leaving the television station. Rogan projected a nice kid next door persona. But when I was his rival at KCBS TV there, I made a joke about him on the air and he promptly called me up at my office and said he had tapes of everything I had ever said about him and he was going to kill me. I used to work with his former fiance, and one day she took me aside and said she needed to talk to somebody who understood what he was really like as she did. She said she had decided to marry somebody else. And as I congratulated her on that, she said she had wanted Fred to hear it from her directly rather than from anybody else. She said he seemed to take her call well, but that same evening Fred had called her back from his car phone and announced he had just gotten married. I'm also reminded that when KCBS did not renew my contract at the end of 1991, the TV sports writer of the Los Angeles Times wrote that 1992 would be the year I would sink into obscurity and the year that Fred Rogan would gain national TV prominence because of his new syndicated talk show, Fred and Arthel. 43 years doing exactly the same thing. Wow. All the best on your retirement, Freddy. Thank you, Nancy Faust. Now to the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The Bronze, baseball's MLB network. There are bad TV ratings, and then there are impossible-to-believe TV ratings. Baseball keeps its announcement of who has been elected to its Hall of Fame to itself, almost as if it is a secret. It televises these announcements live on its own network, MLB network, at like 6.45 p.m. on a weekday evening. Even with that bad planning taken into account, this is mind-boggling. When the former All-Star third baseman Scott Rowland became the only player elected by the writers, and it was announced on Tuesday at like 6.45, the live announcement was seen by, per the TV ratings expert and executive VP at Fox Sports, Mike Mulvihill, it was seen by 35,000 viewers nationwide. 35,000, or what we on this measly podcast would call a really bad day for us here on the podcast. 35,000. 
The runner-up, Marjorie Trailer Park Green. Steve Bannon is quoted as saying Midge thinks she's going to be Trump's running mate next year. That's why Bannon says she's trying to rebrand herself as acceptable to the mainstream Republicans. Wait, what? Wait. Why would rebranding herself as acceptable to mainstream Republicans help her get picked by Trump? When MTG looks in the mirror, NBC quotes Bannon as saying, she sees a potential presidential president smiling back. She sees a potential president smiling back. Well, this is breaking news. Her image is visible in a mirror? But our winner, there are fascist morons and there are fascist conspiracy addicts, but it takes a special one to be a fascist moron conspiracy addict. Such a man is Stu Peters. He is one of those died suddenly clowns who claims everybody who has died in the last couple of years was killed by the COVID vaccine. Everybody. Because apparently the plan is for people who believe in science and reality and liberals to kill all the people who believe in science and reality and liberalism or or something nobody's explained the end game here anyway peters has now topped himself two tweets yesterday about the buffalo bills player demar hamlin who collapsed got immediate cpr and recovered from cardiac arrest quoting peters i still have not seen proof demar hamlin is alive since he collapsed What kind of proof? Ah, that's what tweet number two is about. All Damar Hamlin has to do is get on social media, cut a video, and put an end to the speculation. What speculation? I want to see video of Damar Hamlin holding today's newspaper with the date visible. Then this guy Peters, who should check he may actually be brain dead, insults Damar Hamlin, who he says is dead, Quote, what a great opportunity to thank his supporters for the 10 million they gave his charity. Now here's my demand, Mr. Peters. All you have to do is get on social media, cut a video holding today's newspaper with the date visible alongside a copy of your CAT scan, and then I'll believe you have a functioning brain. Stu Peters, who has a website with his name printed as just one word, so it also reads Stupid Urs. Today's worst person in the world! We all know someone with hearing loss, or maybe even struggle with it ourselves. But unfortunately, hearing aids cost thousands, which most people just can't afford. Now there's an alternative. A company called Audion Hearing just released new over-the-counter hearing aids for only $189, and they sound amazing. Highly recommended for anyone with hearing loss. Check out audionhearing.com for their 45-day risk-free trial. That's A-U-D-I-E-N hearing.com, and you can use code Keith for $25 off. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Finally, our number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me. I missed the exact anniversary by a day, but uh, it's close enough. The demand for spots in the Shea Stadium press box that night was so great that there was assigned seating. I had no real reason to be there, but as usual, the New York Mets took care of me. And so on Friday, the 5th of September, 2008, I was shoulder to shoulder with reporter friends Watching the Mets begin to blow their three-game pennant race lead against the Philadelphia Phillies. Sorry, Mets fans, for bringing this up again. Brett Myers had just struck out New York's David Wright looking when my phone rang. It was my agent, Gene Sage. They just called, she said flatly. You and Matthews have been fired from anchoring the presidential debates because of what you said. What I had said had been said three nights previously. Chris Matthews and I were co-anchoring the Republican convention on MSNBC. I was in the studios in New York, ostensibly so I could also anchor hurricane coverage, although it was pretty clear that at least half the reason I was not in Minneapolis was because the Republicans had threatened NBC or said they couldn't guarantee my safety or something like that, and NBC folded. So I was the one during MSNBC's coverage of the 2008 Republican convention who had to throw it to a video they were introducing that we had been told by the Republicans was a, quote, tribute to the dead of 9-11. It was, in fact, a snuff film. All of the images that all of the networks had stopped showing within weeks or even days of the attacks, all of those images were in this video. People jumping and falling to their deaths from the World Trade Center on 9-11. Endless replays of the planes hitting the towers. Dismembered bodies in the plaza. The building collapses. The equally terrifying scenes at the Pentagon. And all with a grotesque Robert Davi voiceover emphasizing that this was all the Democrats' fault. The message was simple. Elect Obama and you will die like this. I was angry, just on that base level. For the five and a half years I had been back at MSNBC, we had been rigorous about not showing any of that video. There were rules that if we had to for some reason, we should show only the still images, and even then, only with extensive warnings to the viewers. 
But I knew from my conversations with the president of MSNBC, Phil Griffin, who I'd only known for 28 years at that point, that he would insist that on the scene in Minneapolis, Matthews and Tom Brokaw, whose career at NBC I had resurrected after Brian Williams had buried him alive two years earlier, that one or both of them would rebuke the GOP for showing not a 9-11 tribute, but as I just said, a 9-11 snuff film. The video ended and we came out to Brokaw with Matthews and Brokaw kind of coughed and Matthews said, wow. And he turned to Brokaw and said in that loose fire hose delivery of his, Tom, the kind of underscores uh, terrorism, big thing for Republicans as they try to stop Obama. Brokaw droned on approvingly. <laughs> the Republicans sneaking a snuff film of banned video on to MSNBC, and, and by the way, also on to CNN, on to NBC, on to CBS, on to ABC, without any warning, that was not mentioned by Brokaw or Matthews. Back to New York and Keith. I was supposed to ad-lib a tease about what we were expecting from the Republican convention for the rest of the night and then throw to a commercial. Instead, I said, and this is a paraphrase, the original tape disappeared that night, that before we moved on, I felt I needed to apologize that we at MSNBC, and for that matter, NBC News, had extremely strict rules about not showing that video the Republicans had just shown you without any warning, without any context. And we certainly would not have shown the horror and death and blamed it on the Democrats or, for that matter, blamed it on the Republicans. I said, if we had done such a thing ourselves, there would have been people fired at NBC News. The public program the GOP provided said that was going to be a 9-11 tribute film, I said, and so did the private conversations with the network, which included the reminder from NBC and MSNBC that we had rules against showing the scenes of the horrible death and mutilation and destruction. So I apologized on behalf of whoever trusted the Republicans to live up to their word that MSNBC viewers were forced to see the video our network had long before vowed never to show again. So three nights later, without as much as an email, this Griffin guy had called my agent and told her I was fired, Matthews too, from our further coverage of the upcoming McGain-Obama debates. She related these details to me as I walked down the many ramps in the back of Shea Stadium towards the subway. I told her to call Griffin back and tell him I had quit on the spot right then and he could work his way out of the ensuing disaster Liberal network MSNBC fires liberal host Elberman for criticizing conservatives for sneaking 9-11 snuff film onto MSNBC. He could figure that out any way he wanted. And he could hear my response on, I don't know, Good Morning America, CBS This Morning, the PBS NewsHour, and any other news program that bothered to ask me to stop by and talk. I phoned my live-in girlfriend, Katie Turr, and told her I was on my way home, and I made a few phone calls to friendly voices within the NBC management structure and got from them a clearer picture of what had happened. And despite the spotty cell service along the elevated line heading back to Manhattan, I got a message from a newspaper reporter friend who neatly tied together all that I was hearing elsewhere. Tom Brokaw is going around NBC saying he got you fired from the debates because the Republicans told him to. Nine, maybe ten months earlier, Phil Griffin had come to me and asked me if I would be okay with this guy who had been kind of disappeared by the network, Tom Brokaw was his name, appearing during our weekly coverage of the Democratic and Republican primaries. Just a couple of minutes, like from a perspective desk, that's all he wants to do. He, he's really, Tom's really unhappy. Brian uh, has frozen him out of everything. Brian Williams, of course. 
I was appalled, but not surprised. The power had gone to Brian's head. And of course there, it had not met much resistance. Plus, as I said to Griffin, you're asking me if I'd like to add Tom Brokaw's experience and Tom Brokaw's gravitas to stuff I'm anchoring when I'm not sure I know as much as I really need to know to do this right? You're asking me this. Tom fit in beautifully, and twice after those long Tuesday evenings in the primary season, he sent me brief emails awarding me what he called the game ball because he was so impressed by my ability to balance the roles of political anchor and political commentator. Having tried this myself, one of them read, I know what a perilous tightrope this is, game ball to KO. I'm mocking him now, but these meant so much to me, I printed the emails out and carried them in my wallet. And now he was claiming he had gotten me fired, because as my newspaper friend said, the Republicans told him to. That was not hard to unpack either. Tim Russert had died on June 3rd of that year. I anchored that night until 2 in the morning. It was still an open wound. There were still tears. We didn't know it then, but the structure of NBC News and the perilous tightrope balancing NBC and MSNBC had died with Tim Russert. So did the role of moderator of the second debate between John McCain and Barack Obama, scheduled for about a month after my subway ride on October 7th in Nashville. Tim had not even been buried yet when Brokaw began to angle to get that assignment, along with brushing away the dirt of his petty-ante role on the MSNBC perspective desk. We never saw him again, in order that he could take Tim's spot as Brian Williams' sidekick on Big NBC. The month before, August, there was a story coming out of the east end of the third floor at 30 Rock, where NBC News management sat around not doing much of anything, that a Republican goon named Ed Gillespie had been in there with Griffin and the NBC News president, Steve Kappas, trying to get me silenced or fired or off the convention coverage or something, and that somebody prominent within NBC News was in there with Gillespie or was invoked by Gillespie, the rumor mill wasn't certain. As I switched from the elevated 7 train to the underground F train, the whole thing came together. Before my comments about the GOP convention 9-11 snuff film, Ed Gillespie had come in and had somehow vaguely threatened Kappas and Griffin about me, using as leverage the debate which Tom Brokaw was now supposed to moderate. And when I apologized for their video on our air, Gillespie must have turned it into an either-or. Get rid of me or McCain would refuse to participate in any debate moderated by Brokaw or anybody from NBC News. And Brokaw had already come back from the dead once in 2008, and he would be damned if he would be forced to do it a second time. But as the train took me home to an apartment I was now going to have to sell, since I had just quit MSNBC on the spot for folding to such obvious Republican blackmail, something else now occurred to me. Why would MSNBC or NBC or our parent corporation at the time, GE, actually think that they could remove me from the debate coverage on MSNBC, where the Rachel Maddow show had yet to be born, and the three times a night my show ran accounted for something like 60% of the entire day's network audience, and do that without getting a really bad reaction from our audience? Plus, if a newspaper man already knew the Brokaw part... How could this story be avoided? 
MSNBC announced it had removed its liberal star, Keith Olbermann, from coverage of the McCain-Obama presidential debates. Sources confirmed former NBC News anchorman Tom Brokaw, now an MSNBC commentator on Olbermann's coverage, had helped the Republican Party to blackmail NBC into the decision. Olbermann immediately resigned, saying, quote, in succumbing to this coercion on behalf of John McCain, NBC has now forfeited any right to further be called a news organization, and I'm sad to say MSNBC, which I built, is now dead. My God! MSNBC, and NBC News for that matter, would have committed corporate suicide before the weekend was over. At that point, it dawned on me that the only thing that could save the credibility of the whole news division and the careers of Griffin and Kappas and NBC Network President Jeff Zucker, and especially the career of Tom Brokaw, was for me to publicly state that I had asked to be removed from anchoring the debates because the whatever was just too much blah, blah, blah for me, and I felt I should stick to the post-debate analysis and commentary. NBC would now have a choice. They could fire me from the debates and destroy everything, including the $100 million a year or so in profit that NBC made off MSNBC, or I could, you know, lie and claim it was my idea and save everybody's ass, including my own. I got out of the subway and raced home. Katie met me at the door with a big hug. She had been crying. Relax, I said. I'm not quitting. In fact, I'm going to get a huge raise now. Listen carefully. I called my agent and I explained the idea that had lit over my head on the subway like a light bulb to both of them. I said, you call Phil Griffin back and explain to him that I will personally save his job and Steve Campus's and Jeff Zucker's and Tom Brokaw's and everybody else's. I'll take the fall. Instead of letting them all get fired by the MSNBC audience, I'll say, this was my idea. And all it will cost, Phil, is $12 million. And he has to leak the terms so everybody knows it cost him $12 million. And she paused for a second and said, it's genius. It might not quite be $12 million, but I bet... I bet they'll pay you at least nine. On Sunday, several news organizations reported I had asked to be taken off the anchor desk. Two months and one week later, the New York Times wrote, quote, Keith Olbermann, the anchor of Countdown on MSNBC, has extended his contract through the next presidential election season, the network announced. Mr. Olbermann and MSNBC essentially tore up the four-year, $4 million a year contract they signed last year and replaced it with one worth about $7.5 million a year. So that was a $3.5 million raise for four years for a total of... $14 million, except the new contract added two years to my old deal, so the raise was actually $22 million. All stories have a punchline. This punchline is about Tom Brokaw. We would have gotten away with this cleanly. NBC would have gotten its money's worth for the $22 million in hush money, which is what it was that it had to pay me because I had agreed with them rolling over for the Republican Party blackmail, except Brokaw could not keep his mouth shut. So proud was he of preserving his role as the moderator of the October 7th NBC debate that he had to explain in explicit detail in public how he went to his bosses at NBC News and threatened them on behalf of the GOP. On September 29, 2008, a lengthy and glowing Brokaw profile appeared in the New York Times. Quote, 
Mr. Brokaw said that over the summer he had, quote, advocated within the executive suite of NBC News to modify the anchor duties of the MSNBC hosts Keith Olbermann and Chris Matthews on election night and on nights when there were presidential debates. Mr. Brokaw said he had also conducted some shuttle diplomacy in recent weeks between NBC and the McCain campaign. His mission, he said, was to assure the candidates' aides that despite some negative on-air commentary by Mr. Olbermann in particular, Mr. McCain could still get a fair shake from NBC News, unquote. Oh, that was his mission? The hell it was. Happily, Brokaw just could not resist boasting even further. The next sentence actually reads, quote, Mr. Brokaw said he had been told by a senior McCain aide, whom he did not name, that the campaign had been reluctant to accept an NBC representative as one of the moderators of the three presidential debates until his name was invoked. Quote, one of the things I was told by this person was that they were so irritated, they said, if it's an NBC moderator for any of these debates, we won't go, Mr. Brokaw said. Quoting him again, my name came up and they said, oh, hell, we have to do it because it's going to be Brokaw. There is a second punchline after all this when the new format came out. And I was sitting there counting my money. MSNBC had David Gregory, quote, anchor, unquote, the debate coverage. David was terrific during this. Practically all this meant anyway was that I was on the air until literally 90 seconds before each debate began, which is when I said, now here's David Gregory. And he was then on for four or five minutes after the debate ended, which is when he said, now here's Keith Olbermann. And on election night itself, with David again formally anchoring, Per the Republican blackmail, at 10.59 p.m., to his great credit and to my eternal gratitude, David Gregory said, with the last voting booth closing at 11 p.m., NBC News can now project the winner of the 2008 presidential election. Keith? Bless him. Plus, I still have all the money. Your Republican Party, then and now. Countdown has come to you from the world headquarters of the Olbermann Broadcasting Empire in the Sports Capsule Building in New York. Thank you for listening. Here are the credits. I don't know why I use that voice. Most of the music, including our theme from Beethoven's Ninth, was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chenail. They are the Countdown musical directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chenail. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. Produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, and it was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was Richard Lewis, and everything else is pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 751st day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him now while we still can. The next scheduled Countdown is tomorrow. I'm Keith Olbermann. Till then, good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck.
Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We all know someone with hearing loss, maybe even struggle with it ourselves. But unfortunately, hearing aids cost thousands, which most people just can't afford. Now there's an alternative. A company called Audion Hearing just released new over-the-counter hearing aids for only $189, and they sound amazing. Highly recommended for anyone with hearing loss. Check out audionhearing.com for their 45-day risk-free trial. That's A-U-D-I-E-N hearing.com, and you can use code KEITH for $25 off. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club.